Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined today for a special episode by Ian Holmes. Uh, he is the director of media rights at Formula One. A lot of questions. They just re-signed their deal with ESPN. Uh, they're home since 2018. A lot of questions about their growth in America, what their strategy was, where they go from here, how many races they can even have, what the what the volume looks like going forward, what they can monetize on TV going forward. I had a great discussion with you and I really enjoyed this. And I think a lot of listeners now, uh, certainly are in America, but also are new-ish fans. And he talks about that and how, I guess you'd say sophisticated, um, the newer fans have gotten. So I really enjoyed this talk. Here's Ian. All right, joined now by Ian Holmes. He's the director of media rights at Formula One. Where are you in the world right now, Ian? Are you in London? I am pleased to say I'm back in London temporarily. Uh, so uh, off soon off to uh, to Brazil for the last the last two events. Uh, but uh, here in here in sunny sunny and rainy London. Oh, wonderful. Um, it's one of my favorite cities in the world. I'm jealous. Uh, there's also a Vegas event this week, uh, a little bit of a launch there. I won't be able to go, unfortunately. Um, I'm, I'm stuck on the East Coast, but it uh, sounds like it's going to be really fun. Um, we'll start here, Ian. Um, you guys extended the deal in America with, with ESPN. Obviously, it's been one of the sports media stories of, frankly, the decade um, is the growth of F1 when you consider in 2018 when you guys moved from NBC to ESPN. Essentially, that was just a exploratory rights deal. There wasn't really a, a dollar figure attached to it. The next year, um, you guys extend with them. It goes for three years. This time, there's multiple bidders. It was, an, I believe, the phrase I saw in the spring was an all-out bidding war. Uh, everybody was was involved in it, um, at least you know, and it, from from the reports, uh, ESPN and Amazon were the final two. But basically, everybody had made a call. Um, I'm I'm curious, Ian, about the way F1 has evolved in the United States. So much of this goes to not just drive to survive, but the social strategy. Um, you know, I think I, I heard an interview with you 
fairly recently where you said that 44% of new fans, I think you said in America, hadn't even heard of Michael Schumacher. So that's kind of where we're at right now, where, where there's just people coming to the sport who you know, maybe five years ago, didn't even know what F1 was. And now that they're, they're locked in, they're traveling to races. Was this a, was this a strategy to, to, to pop in America? Or was this just a byproduct of the other things that you guys did? And, and was almost, I don't want to use the word accident, but it was almost just natural because you were doing other stuff to grow the sport. Ian. No, I, I think in, in, in fairness, there's probably a little bit of both. Um, it, it, it should be said that, that the, you know, the U S market, um, was and has been identified by us um, as um, as a market um, with uh, with opportunity. Um, you know, we 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 were and remain well aware of where we sit within that very complex and enormous uh, sports media market. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not hard to look at such a huge market and see how relatively well, not relatively, how incredibly small <laughs> yeah. we were. Um, and, um, you know, clearly there is an opportunity, whether you can take the opportunity is, is another matter. Um, but, you know, certainly uh, if we look around the world, you know, I think Formula One is certainly uh, a lot more mature, um, mm-hmm. in the big European markets, um, likewise in, in places such as Brazil and Japan and Australia, the Middle East. Um, and whilst there are always opportunities everywhere, um, I think it, it was, it was easily easy to identify Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. represented a, an opportunity, less easy to deliver, uh, but certainly to identify that, 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 that there was an opportunity there. Um, and in terms of sort of the, the the progress that we've made, I guess, over the last, uh, let's call it three or four years in particular, probably two or three years more specifically, um, you know, th- th- we, we, we've been, you know, very pleased. I'm not going to say surprised, uh, pleased with just that acceleration. Um, but then if I think about the various um, activations and efforts that we've mm-hmm. gone to, some specifically targeted to the US, some more generally targeted, such as you know our increase and, and, and really adoption, considering we weren't really doing anything before, uh, of the use of social media. <laughs> um, clearly, you know, the, the, if we put a post on Instagram or, or whatever it might be, it's not targeted for the US. But we know that it, it's going to be consumed in the US. Um, you know, we, we we looked at a lot of our demographics, and we we had an existing mature audience already, mm-hmm. uh, a very knowledgeable audience. It must be said. Um, so it was important we tried to get the balance right. Um, but but no, it, it was very clear that, that the US market was something that um, that we 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 have identified as as a, the potential for growth. Before I get into any of the other specifics about, about America and kind of where this is going, it's interesting you mentioned the fact that there was no social media strategy to speak of even a few years ago. And I think that whenever I have a, a journalist who covers F1 who's been around for, for over a decade, you know, they always bring up the, the old Bernie line, we want you know, the, the, the viewer, the fan to own a Rolex, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and obviously, listen, there was a lot of growth in F1. It was a hugely popular sport before the last five years. I think people in America can sometimes get this twisted. The, the, the sport was growing for a long time, but maybe it had stagnated. Maybe it was an aging demographic. What was the strategy all told to get to start getting younger viewers, because I even saw you said at a conference a couple a couple of months ago that you guys had looked at an animated series to get to get younger viewers. Yeah. And obviously, even just posting anything on Instagram. When I talked to the guys in the NFL, I remember like 2014, they couldn't believe you could just throw on some random photo on Instagram and get you know 400,000 people to engage with it. So, what was the process of of, of lowering the the age for for the fan base? Ian? 
But I think um, I think it was is a, it was essentially recognizing that we needed to increase the number of touch points that the sport had, um, and different touch points perhaps being more targeted at different demographics and groups of people. You know, you've already mentioned Drive to Survive, uh, which I'm sure we'll probably come back to a little bit. Oh tomorrow. yes, we will. <laughs> But ultimately, and I'm, I'm not going to um, denigrate it or anything, it, it, it is a type of program that sits within a genre. Um, yeah. It happens to be a, a well, a growing genre, um, and we've been fortunate enough to um, to, to dominate in it. Um, but ultimately, it is a genre. And, and, and in terms of if I look at some of the other efforts that we did in, you know, back, back to your point, you mentioned sort of animation. We would like um, something that perhaps targets uh, a younger demographic, whether it's animation or something else. That's absolutely something we want to do. Different type of vertical um, to the sort of drive to survive type vertical. Um, we put on quite a number of fan festivals in, in different territories in the world. Some were some were quite successful. Some were not very successful. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we tried. Uh, yeah. I think actually one of the ones that we did in um, in L.A. was yeah. um, I was, was there. Was yeah. Um, and, you know, tied in with the Jimmy Kimmel show. That's not something we've ever done before. Um, so we tried different things, you know, with our esports series. Again, we re- recognize that 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 was more targeted to a particular demographic. But these are just different examples of wanting to increase the number of touch points the sport had and targeted touch points for targeted different demographics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the LA thing was fascinating because that was 2018, I want to say, and I think yeah, that I a lot so. of people were were just getting into it. And you said, I mean, Max Verstappen was there, Daniel Ricciardo was there, um, and it, it was it was interesting because there were so many people who knew I was into it, and they called me that week and they would say, "Hey, like my son is five and he just loves seeing the cars go around. We're just going to come out to this thing and see what it's all about." And so you just get, I mean, the touch point thing is so right because there were people who were like, you know. 5% into it who were saying, let's just go see this. And then they're 60% into it. I'm intrigued by, um, you know, listen, you've talked about this, but F1 is never going to have the volume of the NBA, the Premier League, anything like that. But what they have had, and you guys have made this point, is you have the depth of the volume, which is the data, the onboard cam for 12, te- for, for, excuse me, for 10 teams, um, you know, the fact that you get the, the radio stuff. I mean, every... Even though you don't have 82 games from 30 teams like you would in the NBA, you have so much data that it's almost like that. Um, what's next for that? Uh, and, and how do you go about saying, okay, we have this, we can get this out more. I mean, F1 TV does such a good job with get, getting out most of it. Um, but pu- pushing it to the forefront, um, getting it out there, using it to sell uh, the sport literally and figuratively. Like, what, what, what is, is, is that as far as just taking what you guys have and pushing it um, kind of front-facing? I think, you know, you, 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 you've hit the nail on the head. You know, we have F1 TV, um, which is probably an extreme use of the additional content. Um, and, and, and you're right, we're, we're never going to have um, the, the, the breadth of games that the NFL or NBA uh, or even sort of NASCAR and IndyCar have, um, right. but we, you know, we have this three-day event effectively across, you know, Friday through Sunday, um, and a number of different sessions, all of which are relevant. And and this is where one of the things I find interesting is that we have previously talked about F1 TV being a product for the avid fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does a disservice to the new fans that are coming into the sport. It almost suggests that whilst they might have come in through you know, following a certain driver's uh, social media account or through Drive to Survive, I think you do them a disservice if you then say, well, they're they're only kind of light fans. They, you know, 
they're going to be um, not interested in right. the depth of data. And I think one of the things that we are, and, and absolutely not professed to be any sort of expert in this, but I think the US sports fan in particular is probably one of the most sophisticated sports fans will stop, regardless of the sport, because they've been brought up on data, statistics, information, analysis, review, et cetera, et cetera. So we're really thinking about this content offering. And, and I think what you'll start to see going forward, you know, F1 TV's there, it exists, it's great. Um, but I think almost more additively is, is what ESPN um, are, are, are looking at in terms of how they might enhance their offering. Um, running alongside the, you know, linear coverage on whatever channel it might be, you might see additional content on um, on other platforms and channels. Um, you know, they they take Sky's production, if you like, at the moment. Um, and to be clear, that's their sort of pre and post and commentary, mm-hmm. um, which is which is world class. Um, you know, they've got a decision to make themselves in terms of whether they want to continue that. I think they've indicated they would like to. They mm-hmm. don't have to. Um, but you know, we we will we will make available to them. Um, you know, anything and everything. We mm-hmm. will make available to them. Uh, the raw ingredients that currently go into F1 TV. Now they, they've obviously they've got to think about how what makes sense, what doesn't make yep. sense. Um, but as I said, I think it, it, it's a it would be a mistake for us to think that the new fan is a light fan. Yes, um, yeah. I think you have to sort of respect the um, you know as I said that their um, appetite for that additional information and and with our sport it's relevant. It's it's completely relevant. You know in terms of um, the data, the timing data, the tire information, et cetera, et cetera. So we're just trying to sort of make sure that the offering that, that we put out and that we make available, in this case, to ESPN, but you know, our broadcasters more generally, mm-hmm. we, we give them, we arm them with as much relevant um, content as we can over and above the sort of standard international fee. Is there anything when you were talking to ESPN about their offerings, what they're going to have going forward, where they made clear like, hey, the American fan wants more of this, needs more of this. I mean, again, I don't want... The the most amazing thing to me, and I'm sure it's happened with you too, is people who two years ago, their first... Uh, their, their first exposure to the sport was Daniel Ricardo on Netflix on a farm. And then all of a sudden they're on the, the techn- F1 technical subreddit looking at, at uh, in, I mean, tire strategy would be basic for them. I'm talking about like the most technical of the technical. And so again, we don't want to shortchange it and say they're only in for the storyline, but is, is ESPN telling you, look at, Hey, the American fans want this and we're going to build a platform to provide this sort of information. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go sort of quite so granular, but I think yeah. they made it clear that, that what they would like to have the option of taking or us make available to them is is now a more in-depth um, yeah. array of content. And, and we're super happy to make it available to them. As I said, they, they've got to look at it from a practicality point of view and a logistical point of view and a cost point of view. Um, but we want to make sure that they're armed with pretty much anything that they, they want. You know, that there are obligations to show the international feed as is, of course. So this is sort of additional content around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, I, I think it's sort of second nature to the US, uh, the US sports fan, not F1 fan, sports fan is, and and, and beyond that, I think actually, I think US the people, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's a, a desire for knowledge, a desire to understand what they're seeing. Um, and and in, in our in our world, that's that's an awful lot of information and data um, that, that contributes towards the story. Is there a um, a limit on how many races 
you guys feel that you can have because you mentioned, and I, I mean, obviously the volume thing is important, but moving to 24, um, I mean, I think there's a tension at some point, especially with some of the veteran drivers. What's what's the future with that? Because more volume is a good thing from a media standpoint. Um, for a lifestyle standpoint, it starts to to have a little bit of tension. What's what's the future of that, Ian? There's a, there's a neat swerve on this question, uh, <laughs> um, which um, which sort of semi answers your question. Um, is you know our our focus is on the quality of the events. Okay, um, and. We want to make sure that whether we have 20 events or 24 events, that all of them are as good as they can be. Uh, are, are the promoters are, are, are sophisticated, make sure the fan offering is as fantastic as it, as, as, as it can be. Um, and that then almost answers the other question, how many of those sorts of events can you have? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a basic answer to, to, to you is that you know we, we, we are clearly very close to the ceiling. Very close. Uh, whether mm-hmm. we have another one, as I said, we, we swerve that and say, let's just focus <laughs> on the quality of the events. But look, I think um, you know, it, it's not just a swerve. It, it, it is it is relevant. And um, you don't just go to races just because you tick a box and, and there's another race. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen we're in a great run. Uh, if, you, if you like, an, you know, the the north and south, north, central and south American run now, mm-hmm. you know, we had a record number of people attending in Austin um, again at the weekend in Mexico. Another huge number, you know, we'll have well over, you know, between one and one half million people attend those three events once we get through Brazil in a week or so's time. Um, that's what we're looking for. And, and we want all of those people to have a great experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, to add just another event, it depends on what it is. I mean, we haven't sort of gone into Las Vegas yet, but you've mentioned it. Um, yep. You know, that is additive. You know, it's going to be incredible. Um, and, um, you know, that. We're looking at that's not just another number. That is Las Vegas. You know, it's at night, it's down the strip on Saturday night. You know, that that for us is that's what I mean about you know the quality of the events, the experience, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think you know the the basic answer to your question is we're very close to to the ceiling because in order for these the you know the teams, well, all of us really, um, to be able to deliver um, on our side, um, you you know you, you, there is a finite there is a finite limit. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP 
and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It's interesting. I love the swerve. I appreciated the swerve there uh, <laughs> on the question. I want to have a try to survive, obviously. Um, and I think the biggest question for me, because it was the biggest question you guys had at the beginning, which was how to open up the paddock for everybody and for everybody to see it. Because I've had conversations with people in the NFL, I mean, a decade ago, and they were always trying to push limit on access and coaches never wanted it. And, and candidly, I had a talk with somebody in, in NASCAR in the last year where they were saying, hey, we're not dumb. We know that this sort of thing sells. It's just that the teams don't want to do it. And there's a hundred reasons for that, but but it is such an obstacle for a top driver and a top team to say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna uh not only open up our lives to this, but we're gonna talk candidly, we're gonna speak right into the camera, and we're gonna tell people what's going on. Um, when you were talking to the teams as as an entity, as F1, and obviously with box to box, what was your sales pitch to them? And obviously, the two biggest teams didn't didn't uh, consent for the first season. Um, mm-hmm. But what does it continue to be as someone like Max starts to pull back access? As someone like Lewis Hamilton gets his own deal for s- certain things, um, what it, what are those conversations like, Ian? I think to start with, um, there's no getting away from the fact it was um, it was a difficult conversation. Um, the starting yeah. essentially is on the production side. Um, call it box to box on Netflix. Anyone that makes anything never wants to give anyone else any opportunity to review, edit, <laughs> Right. Uh, if you look at it on the other side, on the Formula One team side, these are these are people who's you know hardwired into um controlling every aspect of life. Full stop. Um so that was the starting point. So which was quite tricky. Um but to to bring them together, I think yeah it was a it was a mature process. It it, it took a while. I think we probably spent about a month discussing what the word disrepute means. Um, <laughs> but um, but we, 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 we quickly identified some areas that, uh, a small number of areas, probably two areas actually, um, where a team could request review and request amends are made. Um, and, and, and they were in regard to anything that inadvertently uh, revealed anything that was sporting or mm-hmm. commercially sensitive. But sportingly or commercially sensitive at the time of release, not at the time of capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, fair play to sort of box to box or, or more specifically Netflix is that that's not what they're trying to do anyway. Right. It's not, it's not about revealing some sort of data on a screen behind someone's being interviewed or listening into a conversation with a potential new sponsor who wants to switch from one team to another. You know, no one's trying to throw anyone under a bus. But inevitably, there was a a level of skepticism. And I think I think credit has to go specifically to A, the teams, mm-hmm. uh, generally, um, some more so than others. Some were a little s- slow burners. Some, you know, <laughs> as you can imagine, some like a Red Bull, you know, it, it yep. sort of hit into their, you know, it's in their wheelhouse. Um, but credit also uh, very much to to box to box. It's about building relationships. It's about building trust. And, and you know, look, 
I'd be lying if I said we still don't have issues. Every every series, there's a there's a process that we go through, and we've had to slightly amend the process here and there. Um, but um, I think that the original construction of the of the contract and the relevant clauses, um, you know, unsurprisingly, as I said, took took a long took quite a long time. Um, but we were careful about it, um, and um, you know, I, I think everyone deserves a certain amount of credit for. Um, realizing what we're trying to do and that it's it's that appreciation you know audiences nowadays they're, they're so sophisticated mm-hmm. they, they know when they're being led in a direction um and um you know the teams know that the teams know that we're not looking to produce some sort of puff piece that is just going to sort of you know tell the story that the team might want or a sponsor might want um you know I, I consider it sort of my specific role amongst others is to keep other people away from the series, let the people that are clever and make these things make them, and uh, and keep everyone else away. Um, but but look, you know it, it's evolved. And you mentioned you know Max, Max. We're delighted that Max is participating in this year's series. So you'll see him when it drops next year, uh, which is great. You know he's the world champion at the end of the day. Um, and you know famously Mercedes, obviously and Ferrari didn't participate in series one. And then um, let's just say. Um, change their position. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, uh, and and look, you know, we're we're blessed with, with some of the storylines that, that that came out. And you know, there's been discussions about certain things being created or fabricated, or you know, uh, timelines being played around with for 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 um, you know, narrative reasons. I can tell you that they haven't. There's all all of that right. there. It really is, and some, um, and you know, and. Um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. It's a, it's a continually changing uh, cast. The script, everything is 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 changing. It's it's you know we race in different places. People leave, people come in, people change teams. So, you know, we're very fortunate in that. You know, I quite often get asked, look, how many how many series can you do? You know, I think it's relatively rare that we're already where we are. Uh, but ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, the proof is in um, in the viewing, and and it continues to to strengthen. I should think at some point. There's, you know, it's going to have a shelf life, hopefully right. not for a while. Um, but, um, but as I said, it, I, th- I think the reason why it has continued as in the way it has is because it, it changes. You know, certainly if you look at sort of the early, certainly series one, you know, the team principles, some some had more of a part, but, um, you know, they, they, you know, they're a fantastic addition to the cast uh, in the way that um, generally they um, and I say that in great respect quickly. Yeah. Um, but um, but um, yeah, look, it, it's 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 an evolving thing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think our relationship with Netflix um, and both us and Netflix's relationship with Box to Box is such that that we, um, you know, it's not a case of just sort of sitting back. We, we pay a lot of attention um, to everything. You know, we had to navigate COVID, which in a funny sort of way yeah. helped because it meant that yeah. the... Uh, the production was more embedded with the relative, t- the respective team they were filming that weekend, um, and you know that that the teams get to know the cameraman a little bit more. And and as I said, no one is looking to no one is looking to sensationalize anything. We don't need it, quite frankly. There's quite enough material to work with. So you know, I think I think there's there's a great deal of trust that has built up. Um, there's always going to be issues somewhere along the line, um, and you know we deal with them hopefully in a mature manner that everyone is happy with it's not always the case but generally we get there <laughs> do you but it, do you oh, go, sorry, go ahead no i'm just gonna say but but, but it, it is an evolving process 
Do you feel that the market, I mean, you guys had, I, I, I don't want to, it's funny because I don't know if, if you ever heard this, but I had a, uh, an NFL executive come up to me in March after this podcast became popular. And he said, you know, I loved Drive to Drive the first time when it was called Hard Knocks. Um, and so there's always, there's always people who say that they invented it and all of that stuff. Um, but obviously, Drive to Drive is significantly more popular than Hard Knocks. So, but I don't want to say you guys had first mover's advantage, but you guys filled the void when there wasn't anything like this. And now there's golf, there's tennis, there, there, there's all of this stuff. And um, it seems to me that the market is is, is saturated. Um, what's a, I know you don't want to give any free advice away, but what's your advice um, if you're a league trying to to open up your doors and, and convince the the principals, um, not just the not not literally the team principals, but also the drivers, the principals in the sport, um, golfers, tennis people, whatever. Um, what's your what's your blueprint for that? And is is there ever going to be anything like Drive to Survive again because everyone's trying to be Drive to Survive? <laughs> I mean, just you you mentioned Hard Knocks. You know, I I I, I grew up. I, I enjoyed watching Last Chance You. Which of I course, guess yes. Which is another um, another. Uh, early one, let's say, um, the genre has clearly just, just grown massively. Um, some have been more successful than others. Um, but, um, but the genre has grown and, and, and that's just played in, you know, played into, uh, or played to our benefit. Um, you know, I, I often sort of talk about, you know, with my family, you know, might've been during lockdown. I can't remember, but you know, we watched cheer now. Am I a big cheerleading fan? <laughs> but the reason I mention it is because you're interested in people's stories. Mm-hmm. And Cheer happens to have some wonderful stories and wonderful characters. And um, in terms of advice and things, it's almost, I'm not going to say it's irrelevant for the sport, whether it's tennis or golf or cheerleading or, or, or indeed driving a Formula One car, but people are interested in people. Yep. And therefore, that, that's, that opportunity to capture, and, and capture people and, and what they're doing and how they go about their lives. Um, and if you think, you know, one of the formula within Drive to Survive is, you know, quite often we, we we understand where they've come from, the adversity in some cases, sometimes not so much adversity, but we're interested in understanding about people, their backstories, um, and and how they progress over the mm-hmm. way, whether it's over the course of a season or a, or a championship or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, the, if 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 you can get the protagonists to really to be candid, you know, we don't need to know their intimate secrets. You don't need that. You know, let's face it, whether it's a tennis player on the ATP tour or golf on the PGA tour or one that we shouldn't mention the other one, um, but uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but, um, but I guess people are used to seeing these athletes in a very particular way during mm-hmm. standard coverage. So as soon as you get to see them, not on the field of play or on a tennis court uh, or on a basketball court or, or indeed driving a Formula One car. You've already taken them out of the context that we're used to seeing them. So straight away, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So it, it's about having the ability to, to get to these individuals and get to them away from the environment that we're used to seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully they're, they're, they're happy to sort of be candid. Fascinating. Ian Holmes, if you had told me three years ago I'd be hosting a F1 podcast, I'd probably have a couple follow-up questions. But I think it's a testament to the job that that you guys in F1 have done in America. Um, we cannot thank you enough um, for not only providing the content, but also coming on the show. Thank you so much. 
Pleasure. Very nice to meet you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.